Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On today's Sports Day Tampa Bay, we're going to get into college football and the news that rocked the nation earlier on Thursday as USC and UCLA appear poised to move from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. We're going to be joined by Matt Baker next. But first, May Electric Solar has been in business for over 16 years and is a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years now, and they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who's doing the job. In a field with many fly-by-night companies, May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every install, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all of your appliances. That is the May difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all of its products and conducts on-site testing so you can see exactly what they'll be installing. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727 819 2862 to schedule a free estimate for your home's solar energy system. You can lower your electric bill all year long and preserve your quality of life and your appliances. Call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. So a couple days ago, I text Matt Baker and I said, hey, you want to come on this week? We can discuss, you know, fall camps are about a month away now. We talked about the Buccaneers yesterday with Joey Knight. Let's get some college football. Let's see what Florida's up to, what USF's up to, Florida State, Miami. Got some new coaches, got new recruits coming in. So it'd be a good time to have Matt Baker on right before the Independence Day holiday, 4th of July. Let's, uh, let's get an update on college football. And then about two hours before we get set to record, a bombshell's dropped as USC and UCLA are preparing to leave the Pac-12, who now will become the Pac-10 again, to go to the Big Ten, which now will have 16 teams. So on your scorecards, that's the way it works now. So Matt Baker, USC, UCLA to the Big Ten. Did you see this coming, and what further impacts is this going to have now in college football? And don't forget that the Big 12 will be at 14 until it drops back to 12, unless something else changes. <laughs> so that's that's where we are. Uh, math has never been the this, this strong suit of this beloved sport so yeah, these these educa- was, institutions of higher education math is not a yeah, good thing yeah they can't figure out addition it's crazy um so this the, the the usc ucla news to some degree i mean it was i did not expect it on june 30th 2022 but i also don't think it was a complete shock either usc has been talked about for a long time as a the, this might not work long-term in the Pac-12. Um, the, the, the Pac-12's grant of rights expires after the 2023 season, or 2023-24 school year. Um, so the grant of rights is basically the TV contract that holds everybody together, where you're here, and if you leave before this expires, we keep all of your TV money. And that's basically, you know, nobody wants to, le- to lose that. That's the same reason Texas and Oklahoma, as we sit here today, 
will be in the the Big 12 for the next few years, even though they're eventually going to the SEC because they can't afford to get out of that and lose all that TV money. So uh, USC and UCLA had not wanted to sign on to the grant of rights for an extension. So everybody kind of thought maybe they might be looking elsewhere. USC is one of the few schools in the country that I would argue that could really go on and be an independent on their own. Um, and, and just like how everybody in the world, every conference would want Texas, every conference would want USC because they're you know a good academic school, good at everything, football pedigree, all that stuff. So that's a long way of saying I was not shocked that it happened, although still seeing the idea that USC and UCLA headed to the Big Ten, it's still pretty jarring, even though it's not a total shock, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, this all revolves around television rights. As you mentioned, the grant of rights in the Pac-12. We also know that the Big Ten television rights deal is coming up. And they're talking about getting over a billion dollars for their rights, meaning 80 to 100 million dollars a school per year which is huge money, and it's something the Pac-12 has never been able to do. Matter of fact, they have trouble getting their Pac-12 network cleared outside of what? DirecTV, I think, is the only entity that has it. Um, so it's, it's been an issue for the Pac-12 matching television rights numbers of the SEC and the Big Ten. Well, it's an issue for everybody matching the TV numbers of the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, as we go forward, there's a... a entertainment and sports consulting firm called Navigate. And they, they did some numbers. I think we might have even talked about them on the show. Um, they, they ran some numbers in the spring and March looking at future projections. Obviously, this is before the UCLA-USC news, so ignore that. Um, but just kind of talking about or, or thinking, all right, based on what we know, here's what conference payouts might be. And it was something to the tune of the Big Ten and the SEC would be paying their schools about $100 million, roughly, per year by 2029. And the rest of the Power Five would be somewhere in the $50 million range. But that, that's just reality. Like The Pac-12 was not significantly different than the, the ACC, which was not significantly different than the Big 12. And that is a huge thing. It's hard to wrap your head around the idea of what a $50 million annual gap is going to mean for those programs. I mean... Think about it. It, it. Are we going to be in a situation where, if this, you know, if this holds true, just, just hear me out here. But if Mississippi State's making fifty million dollars more from the ACC or from the SEC than Florida State is, are they going to be able to like hire coaches that double their salary? Is Mississippi State and Ole Miss are they going to be better, more attractive jobs in Florida State and Miami and Clemson? Maybe. Is it going to be a situation where um, Florida State's going to have to choose between, uh, all right, do we want to keep funding uh, women's soccer and softball, two sports they're very, very good at, at a high level, or football? Are we going to have to pick because maybe we can't do both financially? And then at a certain point, again, we're going way down the hypothetical train, but at a certain point, I think most people in the industry, including myself, expect schools and programs to start be to start paying players directly. And if Florida State, North Carolina, Arizona, whatever it is, if they're $50 million behind USC and Texas and Michigan, how are they going to keep up? So that that's kind of the the backstory, the background on all this is it it looked as if it was going to a power two. And today's move, as we're talking, it's still not official, but everybody expects it to be. Assuming that happens, it looks even more like a power two. And, and at a certain point, is it just going to be a power one? 
You know, I, I think that's probably where we're headed. We're in some way, shape, or form. There's 32 to 48 schools in the country. And again, I've said this before. I'm not breaking any news. You know who they are. Georgia, Bama, uh, Oregon, USC. All those guys get together in one league or two. And they're the Super League. And you're either in it or you're not. And I don't know how that's going to shake out. I don't know the programs. I don't know the logistics involved. I don't know all the steps that it will take to get there. But maybe that's where we're all headed. And I, I think that's where we're all headed in all of this. It's crazy to think you got Texas and Oklahoma cutting the SEC, and that footprint has gotten huge from what, South Carolina or Georgia or Florida all the way to Texas A&M or Missouri or now Oklahoma and you know in Texas West. But the Big Ten's footprint now goes from Los Angeles to New York. <laughs> I mean, as we were joking before the podcast, but is UCLA volleyball going to really make trips to Rutgers every year in Piscataway, New Jersey? So here, here's what needs to happen. And, and again, I'm not breaking any news here, but here's what needs to happen. Is everybody, all of the power brokers in college athletics, and I think it might be headed the same way anyway, need to acknowledge that football is different than everything else. Period. It just is. Can they, the, though? Yes, they could spin off football into its own thing, including um, Title Nine. There are that's and, something, that and needs I don't. To be I'm not an through. expert in that, so I, I I couldn't tell you. But it, I, I I'll tell you this: people smarter than me think it's possible. Okay, and I, a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me are thinking through all of the ramifications, all of the legalities, all of the logistics, all that stuff. Um, but I certainly think I think it might get to a point where um, maybe uh, schools aren't offering sports necessarily, or, or the football is not a part of that. It's its own entity, where the, the the Gators football program is separate from the rest of the Gator sports, and it's not run by the NCAA. It's run by the college football playoff, and like th- there's. Maybe there's ways to kind of finagle this to get to the end goal, which is football is different than everything else. The programs that play football at the highest level, you know who they are, treat that differently than everything else. And the programs that don't compete at that highest level, Florida Atlantic, Eastern Michigan, potentially USF and UCF, depending, they do things differently. It doesn't work like that. So why pretend that they're going to compete with Florida and Texas? That might be where we're going in all of this. And if you do that, to get to your to answer your actual question, if you can make that happen, if you can get there at the end result, then you can still have a conference or just groups of schools who play each other. Maybe it's not a conference. You don't call it a conference anymore. But that way, USC and UCLA volleyball play Fresno State and Cal and Stanford and schools that are a lot closer. So they don't have you know. Just like now, where West Virginia volleyball wouldn't have to travel all the way to Ames. Stupid stuff like that. I think we saw in COVID, uh, in the 2020, there was more talk about scheduling the non-revenue sports particular, making that more geographic-based the way it used to be. And maybe that's a a side effect here, where if football is its own thing, because you can have Washington play Georgia, like that. That stuff happens. So maybe you can do that and then not pretend and not have to force volleyball and baseball and softball and the rest into that. 
It'll it'll be interesting how they navigate that and and ultimately get to that point without causing harm to those other sports. You know, ultimately, if you pull the the football money away, how much money does the university really have for the rest of the sports? And it'll be interesting how they get there. Well, so you're you're exactly right. But the other side is, why does a softball coach need to make several hundred thousand dollars a year? Why does a volleyball coach need to do all that? Why do you need 17 assistant associate deputy athletic directors in charge of whatchamacallit? Like, college athletics is so bloated. And it's bloated because they don't have to pay the players. And they've gold-plated facilities and all this stuff. But if there's a scenario where football is its own thing, do you need to spend all that money on softball and baseball and the non-revenue sports? Because the way it is in most industries, right, if you're not making money, then it's not working. And I understand college athletics and college in general, the university system, is different, right? I don't think the, you know, I was in the marching band at Northwestern. I don't think the marching band made money. But we provided something and were a part of the institution, and they determined that it was worth the cost. So at a certain point, the, the schools are going to have to figure out, is it worth spending this much on, on volleyball and softball? Because it, you know, as it is now, the money has to go somewhere. And especially with title nine, there are things you have to do with that. But in this different scenario, maybe they don't need to do that. Maybe they can go back to some, you know, the, the, the schools that really care about softball and volleyball can keep doing that But the rest. Maybe they don't have to, maybe they can fold it into a, into just a different part of the, the, the mission. It'll be interesting to see. So let's get back to, UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten. And, and so what impact does this have on schools, say, like Miami or Florida State in the uh, the ACC? Now it's going from five big conferences to maybe there's a top two now. And what does ACC schools or the conference, Big 12 schools or the conference, and the remaining Pac-12 schools or their conference, what are they going to do next? What What's the ramifications of this going forward now? So I'm not plugged into uh, the, the the movers and shakers of the mm-hmm. Big Ten and the Pac-12, but some of the reporters who are, including John Wilner, who broke the the UCLA USC news today, um, as we're recording this on Thursday, they just seem to think the Big Ten might not be done. Okay, so what does that mean here? Um, I don't want to predict a lot of dominoes because that's kind of a fool's game in conference realignment. I, I might've told this story before on here where you know, I was in Oklahoma working at, at the Tulsa world when the big 12 was dead. Like it was dead. I still remember the world that the um, centerpiece kind of main photo uh, on the front page of the paper one day was a deflated big 12 football because everyone thought it was dead. There, there were, there were administrators at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State schools that were talking about what will we call this this new conference when we go to the Pac-12, Pac-16, whatever it was going to be. So, like, these things move around a lot. But I think there will be more movement. I just don't know when. Um, zoom out quickly na- nationally. You know, if the Pac-12 is weekend, and it is, what does that mean for Washington, which has a lot going for it? Very well-respected academic school, you know, has some football tradition, one of the greatest stadiums in the country. At some point, I want to go there. Um, so, so Washington, you would think, would be a top name. Um, 
Oregon is obviously the most attractive football program left out there. Uh, I, I can't imagine a scenario where Oregon's going to be completely left behind. So what does it mean for them? Would the Big Ten expand out and get those two? I don't know. Maybe. But that's something to kind of look at. Um, zooming in back here into the state, Florida State and Miami are clearly the two most interesting schools in all of this. Because if we are headed to a, a world where, practically speaking, it is a power two, Florida State and Miami cannot afford to get left out. So how do you how do we reverse engineer this where Florida State and Miami are, are in the Big Ten or, or more likely the SEC? The, the, the wild card here, wild card is not even the right word. The, the, the massive thing that has to be figured out is the grant of rights. So the ACC, I think it was in 2017, um, signed a grant of rights that would get through the tw- through 2036. So that means, in plain English, that Florida State, Miami, if unless they can work something out, and lawyers are going to lawyer, billable hours are undefeated, right? Unless Florida State and Miami can figure a way, and Clemson can figure a way out of that agreement, they would have to give up 14 years, 10 years, whatever it is, a, a lot of TV money to go to the SEC. That, that's not happening. That, that, does, that does not seem feasible. Um, contracts are made to be broken. We've seen that. But that seems really, really hard to do. So the idea that tomorrow Florida State, Clemson, um, Miami, and uh, Virginia are, are going to join the SEC, it's not that simple. Um, I think there, there are going to be a lot of con- serious, hard conversations to be had. But it, it's not going to be, you know, snap your fingers Boom, it's done. Um, And then, of course, the other major issue here is Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame, if they were to join a conference, remember, they are a partial member of the ACC. They um, play a handful of football games a year in the conference, but they are not a full-time, full-fledged member. If they were to join a conference 100% between now and 2036, contractually, they are bound to the ACC. Would they want to jump to the ACC and potentially boost some of that revenue and help everybody else out and save the league? I don't know. Maybe. Would they want to say, you know, would they be the ones that want to say, you know what, we're going to press our luck. We're going to try and get out of this this grant of rights contract and join the Big Ten. Are they going to be too stubborn to join the Big Ten because 100 years ago the, the Big Ten didn't want them? I, I don't know. There's so many scenarios here. But the schools that I think are kind of most interesting to watch, Notre Dame, Washington, Oregon, um, and then, you know, Florida State, Miami, Clemson, uh, maybe this is, maybe this keep going down the rabbit hole. Maybe the Big 12 changes. Does the Big 12 um, implode? Are, are um, Kansas and uh, Kansas State or whatever, uh, are they going to join the Big 10? Is the Big 12 going to look and say, oh, the, the, the Pac-12 is pretty weak. We could use Arizona and Arizona State. Come on, come with us. If they keep expanding, are they going to look at USF and uh, again? I mean, there's so many different scenarios here that, that makes this <laughs> absolutely fascinating and what's supposed to be a really dull t- time of the college football schedule. It's going to be well, as it always is with conference realignment. Whether it was, you know, going back to Penn State joining the Big Ten, what in like 1994 or something, um, the SEC expanding. The, the iterations of the Pac-10, 12, Big 8, 12, uh, you know, just as it's gone through college football and we've seen how big the college football playoff has gotten, I know there's still, you know, a push to expand that beyond the four teams. 
and that's going to come with more money in the future. Uh, you know, it's all all this television money. It, it's pushing everything, and I don't think anyone knows exactly where it's going yet. I think people have ideas, but I think it constantly changes. It absolutely does. I, I want to take you back ten months ago, where the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC got together. <laughs> you know, they've got new commissioners, and, and they didn't like the way. Now they wanted to, to band together with conference you know, with with uh, excuse me playoff expansion, and I, I think they didn't really love how the the big or how the SEC was going to add Texas and Oklahoma. So they banded together and they formed the alliance. Remember the alliance, and they were going to you know they were going to be able to vote as a block with the CFP and do stuff in terms of long term scheduling and, and mental health and, and, and some of these things. And remember, they didn't have a contract. And, and I, I checked the quote today. The Pac-12 commissioner George Klyakov, um said, "We we don't we don't we don't need a contract. That's not necessary. This is a, an agreement between three gentlemen." Well, how did that gentleman's agreement work out? You know, they weren't going to poach each other. That was the whole thing. We need stability. We're not going to poach each other. And then here we are, ten months and six days later, or whatever it is, and it's it's chaos. Um, Things change so quickly, and they are going to change again. I'm, I'm more or less going on vacation next week, so I hope they don't change too soon. But uh, it will change again. Well, I understand the commissioner of the Pac-12 was on vacation and trying to be um, off the grid for a week, as according to Heather Dinish's reporting from ESPN, and uh, this bombshell got dropped. So um, it, it ruins everybody's vacation, Matt. <laughs> Well, ho- hopefully I'll be okay for a little bit next week. I'm already getting called back in for uh, for something else. It's not the end of the world, but I would like it to take a little bit of downtime in July. Well, let's hope you get a little bit before uh, fall camps open for the teams. But meanwhile, even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fall camps is about a month away for each of the teams. And last weekend, you went down a uh, what a Twitter rabbit hole on recruiting between Florida and Miami. What was up with that? <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. Um, Florida ha- has not been doing very well on the recruiting trail. Um, I-, I shouldn't say not doing well. They 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 missed a-, a handful of targets with guys that were expected to commit to Florida didn't have the Gators in their top four or just not, you know, uh, announced they were going to go to um, Alabama. And, and then um, the main one was Jaden Rashada, who's a, a blue chip top 50 uh, national player, is a quarterback out in California. The Gators, you know, everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, a lot of people expected uh, him to commit to the Gators. And then he pushed back his commitment, ended up making a, a late visit to Miami and then committed to Miami um, o- over the weekend. And then, there was a whole lot of NIL chatter about how much is he getting is, and I'm not even going to repeat the, the, the monopoly number monopoly money figures. Cause I don't know how legit they are, but suffice to say that there were concerns about NIL 
And the an attorney who may have been representing him said the Gators Collective, kind of the NIL people behind the scenes, sort of, um, said that the, the Gators Collective was the most dysfunctional he's been around. And on and on and on. And it it's to me, it's just been very interesting to watch how this unfolds. No, nobody knows how NIL is really working. Um, there's so much smoke and mirrors that figures no one can confirm them. And, and then, but but the thing that actually does matter here is the actual guys and where they're going. And Billy Napier's class is not in the top twenty right now. There's still a lot of time to, for that to change. But what's crazy to me is just gauging the reaction on Twitter and message boards, which is a terrible thing to do. Nobody should ever do that. But I, I'm I've got a decent handle a decent gauge of fan bases. And this is as wild as I've seen for a coach who hasn't coached his game. He's still two months away from coaching his first game. There was a lot of concern among the Gator fans about Billy Napier because he wasn't getting the dudes. And he he has such a small track record as a head coach um, that you kind of, they need something they can point to to believe that this guy is the guy. So they're either looking at his one Sun Belt championship or recruiting, and there's not enough recruiting wins lately to make to, to convince some people that he's going to be the guy long term. And I, of course, think that's absolutely ridiculous. Dude hasn't coached his first game yet. Dude hasn't signed his first full class. Let's see how this plays out. There are reasons to be concerned because they aren't getting five stars yet, and, and that you know a, a class isn't great at this point. And there have been some notable misses. But let's see how this plays out a little bit first, and, and then we'll get a better feel. You know, in December, if they're still in the twenties, or even if they're only seventeenth or twelfth or whatever, then we can talk about concerns and whether he's the guy, and also about NIL and all that stuff. But now it's way premature to be thinking about anything like that. Let's let's see how he does on the field to see whether he can build some momentum first before we start uh, jumping off the ship here. Well, let's let's talk about Florida first, and and you know what does their outlook look like this year? What uh, changes can we expect under Billy Napier? And how's you know what's the realistic expectation for fans going into this season in year one for Billy Napier? So I've said seven and five is kind of where I've settled in. Um, don't hold me to that. It's June. Let's 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 hold. Let's wait a little bit. But I I think seven and five is a realistic thought. You can squint and see eight and four. Um, anything above that would be fantastic. Um, to me, it, it all hinges on Anthony Richardson. When he has been healthy and when he has played well, he has played very, very well. No question. You know, the, some of the, the plays he made against FAU and, and, and USF were just fantastic. And, and LSU at Tunic Sin as well. But he's made one start, right? <laughs> like, he, he's, he's got almost as many interceptions as touchdown passes. There's not enough of a sample size yet for me to have a good read on on just, just how good he can be. The potential is there, but the, a lot of guys have potential. I need to see some consistency. I want to see if he can do it over a prolonged period of time because his best games were against FAU and USF, who were not very good. So let's see what he can do against Utah in week one. Let's see what he can do against Kentucky in week two and see whether he can smooth things out before we got it before we can anoint him the savior or, or what have you. And that's, to me, he's the biggest unknown with Florida. If he plays at the level we have seen in the past, if he can reach that potential or close to it, Florida's got a chance at eight wins, maybe nine. 
Um, but if not, then it could be a rough first year, I think, for Billy Napier and Gainesville. Well, let's go to USF, where Jeff Scott's entering his third year. He got a transfer quarterback from Baylor, Bohannon. And he's got Timmy McLean, who became the starter last year as a true freshman and is back as a true sophomore this year. So Jeff Scott's won, what, three games in the first two years? He's Is the seat getting warm? Is it is this make or break time for him? And the schedule does him zero favors this year. You open with yeah. BYU at home. Uh, then in week three, you're at Florida, then at Louisville. And then you get in the American where you're playing – the best teams in the American Cincinnati and UCF and Houston and SMU. Um, the schedule is, is not a help to Jeff Scott this year. No, it's not. I, I think, I, I don't know about hot seat necessarily, um, but he definitely should be, should be feeling some pressure because this is a pivotal time for USF, right? Like their arch rival used to be a little brother. Now big brother UCF is getting ready to join the, the big, the big 12. Um, Right now, that's a Power 5 league, although we talk about that, who the heck knows. There's more dominoes are going to fall with realignment. So if, if USF is going to get going, they need to get going now. They need to show major progress. Let's not forget about everything going on with the stadium, too, where, um, you know, in, in September, the, the Board of Trustees is probably, uh, let me put it this way, they're expected to hear proposals, you know, to basically identify a company that they want to work with for a nine figure stadium an on-campus stadium. So that's kind of one of the things that's going on there. And if USF continues to struggle on the field, I don't know that they're going to have the money. I don't know that they're going to want to fire Jeff Scott, even if things go really poorly, but he really needs to get something going to show some momentum at this just pivotal juncture with the bulls. It really is. Another coach in his third year around the state, Mike Norvell at Florida State. A really rough first year for him. It got better last year. What are we looking at for year three? I think we're looking at growth. Um, I, I think the excuses – Norvell hasn't made excuses, but I think the easy excuses to make around the country are gone. Or, or excuse me, around the program, those are gone. Um He's had enough, you know, COVID that totally messed up year one, totally messed up the first recruiting class. I 100% get it. We're, we're enough removed from that by now where this is his program. He, you know, a lot of guys have transferred. He's brought a lot of transfers in. Um, the offensive line has obviously struggled going back to the end of the Jimbo era. And it, it might be at a point now where it's, if, if it's not, if it's not a strength, it's at least not going to be a glaring weakness anymore. I think they've got eight guys who have significant starting experience at various levels, in addition to three blue chip guys they brought in. So that shouldn't be an issue anymore. Jordan Travis, when he's been healthy, has been one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. The running backs are going to be pretty good with Lawrence Tofili and Treshawn Ward. The defense should be pretty strong. Again, I'm not saying they're going to win a national championship. I'm not going to say that they're going to win the ACC, but this is a year where they should make a lot of growth and, and take some major steps forward, potentially you know, starting really with the, the week one against LSU. All right, we'll get another first-year coach, and, and actually this is kind of a theme here in the state of Florida, and you're going to write about this in the Tampa Bay Times coming up in the next week or so, uh, about how the longevity of the coaches in Florida is uh, not very long. Three years seems to be about the biggest longevity for coaches. But Mario Cristobal takes over Miami, 
in the ACC there. We talked about, I mean, this can be pivotal times for this program too as far as looking at expansion and things like that. I mean, every school now kind of needs to be in a win-now mode as conferences are looking to add teams. So what's Miami look like this season? I think Miami is going to be the best team in the state. I, I don't know that it's going to be close. Um, and, and unfortunately, this is going to be the end of the ACC Coastal Division. Uh, they're they're you know, starting in 23. They're going into a no division thing. Uh, to, I won't bore you with the scheduling details, but the Coastal over the years has been this fantastic cycle of mediocrity where they had seven different champions in seven years. And, and it seems like none of them have been really good. Uh, you know, Miami in 2017, that was a pretty good team. But most of the time, it's just been meh champions. And, and that's going away. So I think in the last year, there's a legitimate chance Miami ends up as the final Coastal champion going to play probably Clemson for the ACC title in Charlotte. Um, Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback, he doesn't have a huge track record either. You know, he, he took over as a starter um, in the first few weeks after um, Derek King got hurt. But I feel I've seen enough to know that he is really good. Um, he has a great arm. He is a first-round talent, maybe top-10 talent. When you've got a really good quarterback who's, who's to some degree is proven, that's a really good place to start when you start talking about a program. Mario's done really well with the transfer portal, bringing guys in. He's a, he's a good recruiter. I, I think as I look at it, Miami's got a chance to be, to, to be a pretty strong team uh, in the Coastal. Um, schedule's uh, not the easiest in the world, but... I like where Miami is, and, and and frankly, if I'm buying stock in a, a state program right now, it's the U. Um, and the other wild card here is they they were making some big changes or trying to make some changes in f- facilities and infrastructure. Um, there's talk of a new stadium, although I, I'll believe that when I see it. But if nothing else, they're talking about expanding the indoor practice facility and sprucing up some stuff on campus. And a big year would certainly help in terms of getting people excited down there to, to shell out some more money. All right, Matt. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be looking forward to uh, that big project you've been working on that's going to uh, be, what, next week, the week after in the Tampa Bay Times as you're on vacation? Yeah, so uh, hopefully th- this project I've been working on Literally, um, well, literally for 13 months. The first question I asked about it was, I believe, in 2018. So I've been working on this thing for a long time. Uh, so, you know, look for it hopefully online, uh, TampaBay.com, middle of next week, and then at some point uh, we'll we'll uh, come on here and, and, and talk about it some more. Well, it's uh, what July 1st today as this podcast drops, and college football starts August 31st, I believe. Although, is there a week zero this year again? There is, and Florida okay. State's there. They host Mighty Duquesne. That's right. I forgot I, Florida I don't State, know what so. Duquesne is, but uh, they host them in, in week zero before the LSU game in New Orleans week one. That's but right. my thing, July 18th, I'm in Atlanta for SEC Media Days. And then after that, that's when the season really starts going. So those got so big, they moved out of Hoover, Alabama, is what you're telling me. Yeah, so they they were in um, Atlanta, the College Football Hall of Fame, a few years ago, okay. and they're here again. Uh, they'll be there this year, and then Nashville is in a year or two. I think Nashville is supposed to be the COVID year, and they had to move it. But it's a uh, <laughs> it's a zoo, it's a circus, it's a uh, it's a fun circus, but they're. It's kind of crazy. Well, when I worked in Alabama nearly twenty years ago, now I lived down the street from where the media days always was. So always a crazy time there, for sure. Thank you, Matt. We'll uh, look forward to your section, and we'll be talking to you, well, really in less than two months as college football gets going. We'll have you back on. You got it. Thank you.
Always great to chat with Matt Baker and talk a little college football. Hard to believe we are less than uh, two uh, two months, or what, eight weeks from the August 27th uh, college football start for week zero, as they call it. Those handful of games, including Florida State and that schedule. So uh, we're going to take Monday off for the 4th of July. We hope everybody has a safe and happy 4th of July celebrating our independence. And we'll be back on Tuesday for the Vacationing Rick Stroud. I'm Steve Versnick. Have a great weekend, everyone. 